0: Hey there, Java junkies. Welcome back to another episode of t for c If you love science or technology or engineering, the arts or math or all of the above, and you want to share your love of these subjects with students in kindergarten through 12th grade, then this is the episode for you. Because my next guest is the chair of science for the 6th grade through the 12th grade and the director of the STEAM program The A stands for the arts. It's in addition to the STEM program for K through 12 at a private school in Sherman Oaks, California called the. Buckley School. But before I introduce you to Dr. Ideal Gonzalez-Sorikio, I want to make sure you've signed up for the Java Junkies Journal. That's Time for Coffee's weekly newsletter that comes out on Mondays and gives you an exclusive look inside the episodes and the guests we're going to be featuring each day that week. Just head over to the Time for Coffee website at time4coffee.org the number coffee.org, and the sign up box is right there on the homepage. Now, please grab your mug and take a chug of your favorite caffeinated beverage, because it's time for another caffeinated career conversation. And my next guest is Dr. Ideal gonzalez soricchio the science chair and STEAM director at the Buckley School in California. Before joining the faculty at the Buckley School in 2013, she was the STEAM director of at the Bridges Academy in Studio City, California, where she worked with gifted students with autism, ADHD, ADD, and a number of other forms of learning disabilities or learning differences. Among some of her other professional experiences, Dr. Gonzalez Sariquio was a summer research connection teacher mentor and a senior researcher at the California Institute of Technology, where she was also a senior postdoctoral research fellow, digging into the link between spinal cord injury and the role of the synapse gene using the zebrafish Danio Rario. And she was a lecturer at California State Polytechnic University where she taught courses on the fundamentals in cell and molecular biology and Boy, is there more to her story. If you want to learn more about how to break into teaching in K-12 or how to break into the world of being a scientist, please check out the show notes for this episode to see if her Espresso Shots episode has already dropped. Dr. gonzalez Gonzalez-Saricio, Ideal, welcome to Time for Coffee. Are you still caffeinated on your Red Bull and ready to go? Absolutely. I'm up to my third.
1: Yes, no, you are not. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Yes, I am sugar-free Red Bull to maintain my girlish figure.
0: No, you're not. (laughs) It's not even 8am in California. I know. It's
1: just because I kind of work early and basically I do a lot of work beforehand and then did some reading. Having a wonderful discussion with you. Then I head off to Buckley to do some training and teaching, and then coming back here to train my body to get strong for the astronaut program. So, yeah. Oh my god! I'm always moving around.
0: (laughs) Wow. Well, we are going to get into the astronaut program, which is a new kind of twist and exciting development in your professional career. A little bit later in our discussion. But I thought we could start by telling our listeners how you and I were introduced to one another. It was through the son of a good friend of my husband's and mine. His name is Jonas Stern, who's one of your students, or at least was one of your students at the Buckley School. And when he heard me say that I was looking to interview some dynamic teachers, he turned to his mom immediately and said, Oh, Andrea needs to interview Dr. G. <laughs> <laughs> and I am so excited to have this opportunity To speak with such a dynamic, passionate, and deeply empathetic and caring educator like you. Oh, thank you. I try. Well, my goodness, I have to say, since we've already recorded our Espresso Shots episode, wow, I think our listeners are going to have to have at least a few Espresso Shots or I'm not going to be a proponent of Red Bull. That's a whole other episode. (laughs) But a little something to get their blood pumping so that they're not completely like blown away by the level of energy that you bring to the discussion. And I can only imagine that you bring into the classroom. So before we get into how you found yourself in this field and what you do in your current roles at the Buckley School, Ideal. I would love to kick off our caffeinated chat today with you kind of spelling out for our young listeners why an interdisciplinary STEM program or STEAM program, first of all, what it is and why it's so important and how it's different from just studying science or math or engineering or the arts as separate classes.
1: Yes. So science, technology, engineering, mathematics, now arts is included. That's why it's STEAM. Having the interdisciplinary aspect in secondary education is so important because science is not a silo. And compared to when we were coming up in the school system, all our students have the technology there, all the facts are there, but they don't know how to use it. And they don't have to wait to college to be impactful and make significant scientific technology, engineering, art, mathematic impact. They could do it now. So having STEAM, for example, when I had Jonah in my class, I made sure everyone understand that in biology, yes, we're studying life on this planet. I also talked about other planets, but we're studying life on this planet. It. but in this classroom you will learn engineering we used engineering to study life we learned physics to study life we used technology of chemistry to study life we use all those tools to study one aspect and even in physics why are we able to walk? There's a lot of physics going on in our body. How do we develop prosthetics? So that having the interdisciplinary learning and having the opportunity to answer one's own question through research as a high school student, even maybe as a middle school student, go for it. And that's one of the big things that we are bringing into Buckley, or currently is in Buckley, and a group of us are trying to bring it to all the other schools around the nation.
0: Wonderful. Oh, my gosh. So important. So let's get into what your day job is (laughs) and what you do as the science chair for 6th through 12th and the steam director for K through 12 at the Buckley School.
1: Well, I'm a co-chair, so I have a partner with me, Ms. Amos, because I can't do everything. So as co-chairs, we try to complement each other. So basically, my role is bring technology and new research to the department, new opportunities on the new science pedagogies, how to teach, as well as what is out there right now, what's relevant and also try to bring opportunities for them to go into the lab, as well as other science teachers around San Fernando Valley to get into the lab and really learn what's going on there. Because we shouldn't be teaching what we learned 20 years ago. We should be relevant and know how to do it. We also, as one of my um, responsibilities beside the paperwork, making sure all the materials are present, making sure we're hitting all the deadlines, that's basically a co-chair. As a STEAM director, bringing as much science, technology, engineering, the arts that make all this stuff beautiful and gorgeous and relevant into the school. So last year I was able to bring last year or the year before, we were able to bring wheels of the Mars rover from all three of Spirit Opportunity and Curiosity in. We had a rocket scientist in discussing about what's gonna be different compared to Curiosity versus 2020. We had an opportunity to go to JPL and actually sit in mission control. Opportunities to become citizen scientists, no matter what age you are, from five to 105. You could actually participate in data collection and helping scientists figure out significant situations from snake bites to dust storms to figuring out if there is a asteroid coming to Earth. So those are some of my responsibilities as administrator. And as an educator, that's the fun part. I get to basically brag about how beautiful science is and give students the tools to start doing their own research. And they're publishing and they're patenting. So we have a student who patented, (coughs) her Got Your Back product. We patented that last year. We have students who basically published in scientific journals. We have a lot of students winning the science fair and continuing their research in college. So that's my kudos. They're doing great. I'm so proud of that.
0: <laughs> so cool. So just for our listeners, if they don't know what JPL is, that is the Jet Proportion Laboratory. Is that Laboratory. Right?
1: Yes, NASA. Yes. And that's in Pasadena, California. So that's why they're building all the rovers. So Mars 2020 currently has its arm on now. So it's getting ready to be shipped to Cape Canaveral, I guess, Florida, before before it's being flown
0: to Mars. So a lot
1: of things going on. So I do recommend. Yeah, it's gorgeous. It's so beautiful. Yeah.
0: So what is a typical day or week like for you? And I know that you also mentor and coach a small cohort of teachers. We're we're doing this interview in the summer, so school Mm. is out. Why don't you take us through a typical day or week for you during the summer and a typical day or week for you when school is in session?
1: So during the summertime, a lot of administrative work, making sure all the supplies are on campus. I'm out there. I'm actually still a scientist. So I still read and collaborate with other scientists, like looking at the in 2B. Has there been any more progress? Because I haven't been on the bench because I've been really busy with my son who's going to college now. So looking at synapses 2B and see how that's dealing with noceptive receptors and how we could regulate pain with that. Then I'm reading and collaborating with other teachers, actually with Ms. Nath from Arizona on how to bring research onto the campus, onto the school campus and collaborate. Then new teachers that are coming into the school, we're training them how to use the new technologies, like how to build a robot, how to program a robot. So I'm actually teaching them building, the electrical, as well as how to program. During the school year, wow, I start around four in the morning. I read my emails, read the latest science news because I geek out that way. Then just figure out a new way to convey a particular topic to my students, like for biology or for astronomy. How is it relevant today, the topic that I'm presenting? And I try not to make it boring. So I try to bring magic into it to demonstrate that this is an Awesome scientific beauty that nature has for us. Then for another aspect of my day, we do research. So I have 13 students doing 13 unique research projects that hasn't been done before. And they're progressing nicely. We have three hoping to make it to the Intel Regeneron Science Challenge. Then after school, grade papers, there's more kids researching because they need to do some time scale. Yeah, it's a long day, huh? I didn't even realize that. <laughs> <laughs> then we have some of the kids doing robotics. So I help out with that for first robotics. So making sure they're robot and they know every attribute of that and also make sure they know it's not all about the robot. It's also the communication with other teams. Then I come home, talk to my kids, check on the day, check on my husband. And I do my own research because I'm a nerd that way. Work out then collaborate with other people. I'm probably in bed by two in the morning. No, you're not. That's my day. Oh my God. Yes, I am. Because I have to also clean the house. So yeah.
0: Wait a minute. So you're sleeping like two hours a night?
1: I range two to four hours, especially during the school year. During the summer, I'm getting a good four to six.
0: And is that... It's just I'm hyperactive. You don't need that much sleep.
1: I have the gene that I don't need that much. Sometimes I do sleep longer. Sometimes I do get my 10 because my body says you need it. But... Yeah, it's just there's so much in the day that I want to accomplish. So when I go to bed, I could feel like I did it. It's just my genetics. I have to make sure the goals that I set out for the day is done and make sure I stay up a little longer just in case if somebody needs me. That's why sometimes I linger at school a little longer. I linger at home a little longer. I have my phone near me because if someone needs me, I'm there. And it has
0: happened a lot of times. So, ideal. You mentioned that you also teach, and you also mentioned about bringing magic into the classroom. You've taught honors biology, regular biology, AP chemistry, astronomy, applied science, honors physics, and robotics. How are you bringing magic into the classroom with middle school and high school students, and how is it different teaching the younger students and the older students?
1: So between Buckley and at Bridges, I noticed the students have a short attention span, especially since if I'm like the third class of the day, they're not going to hear me. So sometimes bringing in like I do flash paper. I do magic. I bring science magic, as I call it, talking about, oh, my gosh, we're going to talk about diffusion. You want me to prove that diffusion is pretty cool? I say farticles. I'm like, okay, you see the smell? Pretend those are my farts or my farticles. And I could actually make them really energetic with heat. So I try to bring science to life besides, you know, performing magic, even in astronomy having resonance, using balls or having the kids move or actually talking to an engineer at JPL saying, yeah, I'm doing this. And then they demonstrate the power, that magnificent machine, magic into action. That's how I bring it in. And plus, it's exciting for me because I want them to feel how beautiful and exciting and groundbreaking what we're talking about really is. I want them to feel my love for it as well, so it's exciting.
0: How did you develop this style of teaching? And what advice ideal do you have for those young people listening right now who may still be in college, who may want to get into teaching either before they listen to this or now? How do you recommend they try to connect with their students? This definitely being
1: you, your authentic self, bring your past and your path That got you into education, use that as the foundation of how you communicate to the students, the information you're going to communicate to the students and the life skills you want to communicate to your students. My style of teaching Evolved. I wanted to basically have a discussion with my students, be a mentor to my students. I didn't want to just give them the facts and leave because that information that I'm conveying from the four little chemicals that make up you to having the Atlas V launching an important device to another planet. I just don't want to say I want them to live it and really appreciate it because what's going on now is relevant to their lives now as well. I know I discovered through I have educators that mentor me and they revealed that the way I teach is an emotional teaching that they're not learning to learn. But I never realized I said this, but when I convey a new information or new technique or new technology, whatever the fact or the lesson may be. I ask them, how do you feel about this information? Do you understand it? Do you absorb it? It's more than facts. It's comprehension. Because if you forget a name or you forget what is the acceleration of gravity, if you don't remember it's 9.8 meters per second squared, you can always look it up. But why is it important to know it or where to find it? Yeah, so I try to make an emotional connection to the student on
0: what they're learning. Do you think that helps them to relax and be open to the information? I ask you this because I remember hearing the principal of a school near my home here in Maryland talk about the fact that when young people are scared, Mm -hmm. when they're anxious, their brains can't learn.
1: Correct. So one of my philosophies as an educator is not... They know it at that moment and that will make a break, whatever the GPA may be. No, I try to guide them through the learning process, how everything connects. All of science, all of mathematics, even history, there is a connection. There's a build to it. And you need to understand how everything is integrated, how it builds off of each other. And let's say through the assessment time. They had a bad score. Doesn't mean they didn't know it. And with me, I make sure the kids, okay, you had a bad quiz. That could be gone because as long as you learn from your errors, you will have another chance to redeem yourself. Don't worry about it. So I drop quizzes. I make sure they learn the mastery and. We are in an educational system. So yeah, the mastery comes in at the end, which is like the final. But throughout our journey in a classroom, whatever we are studying, biology, astronomy, AP biology, what else did I teach? Chemistry, physics. We talk about our journey, how they work together. Don't worry about the facts because like in physics, if you don't remember a formula or a number, you have it there. So don't worry about that. Just make sure from our journey through quizzes and tests, you learn from them. Yes, it's the mastery of it. And I noticed that my students learn more, understand more and retain more versus a different style. When I was experimenting, when it's was at Bridges, when I was just saying A to B, B to C, they didn't get it as much. So when you have an investment in their education and their learning process, they feel invested. They feel like you do care and that you're side by side with them in this journey. Their anxiousness, I know I'm not a MD, but their nerves is lowered and they're able to accept the information.
0: Yes. I think this is the way that I would describe it back to you. You Uh want to teach your students a number of things. One of them being how to learn Because that is a skill that they're going to take with them through their lives, how to process information, how to solve problems. And in the course of your classes, you're helping them to understand the principles, the fundamentals that are so important in that subject.
1: Absolutely. And that's what the educational system in Finland, Norway, they're not teaching the students what to learn. They're teaching the students how to learn. And that is the difference between their educational system, how it's going so well. The difference between their educational system is very uniform. We have a very diverse population. So again, we have diverse learners, but their philosophy for really top-notch educational systems around the world, you can look through a lot of journals out there, their philosophy besides the lower teacher-student ratios, time to think, but How to learn, not what to learn. And sometimes I think with the current educational system at the United States, everyone is worried, what do I need to learn for the test, not how to learn for my life? And once we have that shift, and I know a lot of my colleagues and I, we go to Washington, D.C. to try to convey, hey, we should shift this paradigm from what to how and to appreciate, I could see us kicking butt as a nation in education.
0: Yes, I agree a hundred percent. So you mentioned the Bridges Academy, where you also had extensive experience working with gifted students with autism, ADHD, ADD, and other learning differences. You said in our Espresso Shots episode that you yourself were diagnosed—I don't know how old you were—with dyslexia, which, for those who may not know, means you have difficulty reading. The way your brain sees the letters and the words comes out a different way. So you sure you had to teach yourself how to get around that. For those young people ideal who may be considering getting into teaching and maybe getting into teaching in this world, in this kind of special education world, what would you tell them? How was it different at Bridges from the kind of teaching that you did at the Buckley School?
1: Definitely. I want to just tell you my story of how I found that I have a learning difference. I didn't know until I was in college. Again, coming from the South Bronx, I mean, no one knew about learning differences. Either you were able to stay in the class without disrupting or hurting anybody, or you're not able to, so you were in the special needs classes. And when I was coming up through my education, I was doing okay because I always read the exams and the tests and the homework because we were a bilingual school. But once I got into high school, since they stopped that, my reading processing, I didn't know at the time, I wasn't doing very well. I remember my SATs, I didn't even break a thousand. And I was so worried. I remember my mom and my father. Again, I'm the first one who ever graduated from college in my family. So they're like, graduate from high school, get a little job. That's all they expected of me. That's a success story. I didn't want that because I saw so many of my friends die because of choosing the wrong path right in front of me. And I remember, and I want to just give props to this dean, and I wish I remember his name. He came by to Cardinal Spelman. I went to that high school, and we were talking about science. We were talking about Rensselaer Polytechnic Institute and how I was really interested in that school. But again, I don't think my parents would let me go to college. And he said... You know so much. How are your grades? I'm like, they're okay. I didn't break a thousand in my SATs. And his words made me cry. I remember him saying, I want to take a chance on you. You're going to go into RPI. you got to go to RPI. And I was like floored. I did my interviews. I convinced my parents. Can we afford to go to college? We took out a lot of loans. I was working like crazy. And I got into RPI. I was so happy. This is an engineering college in Troy, New York. And that first semester... I failed everything. And I'm like studying 24-7, never slept. I was taking Vibrant. Remember that? Vibrant and Jolt. I needed to stay up all the time. I was also working to support myself. And I was also a cheerleader. And I was failing. My mother's like, I told you so. I remember I called my mom and I told you so. And I'm like, okay, crap. I thought I was going to be a statistic. Just join a gang. Just die by 21. Because that's basically what was... Convey to us, at least when I was growing up. Until I met my boyfriend, now husband, he noticed that I know so much, but I wasn't answering the questions that I was reading. And he grabbed me by my hand, took me to the learning center, interrupted a meeting from Dr. Brown, saying, I'm sorry I'm interrupting your meeting, but she needs help. I'm all crying, I was just in tears. My boyfriend, now husband was a learning assistant at RPI, And after several hours of testing, they found out that my dyslexia, I could read the words, but I don't understand what I'm reading fun fact, every time I I went to a Catholic school, every time I read or read the Bible, I memorized everything. So when they said, Oh, what was on page 24? I could recite everything because I memorized it to understand. Mm. So from that moment, I remember from a GPA of what one eight, I was acing everything. And all I needed was extended time. And I had all my books on tape. So that was a pinnacle moment for me because I'm like, I wasn't broken. I'm not going to be a typical statistic pregnant by 16 in the Bronx and then die by 21. I'm able to do this. And I thank my husband, Dr. Brown and just RPI invest and the dean, especially taking a chance on me. My own personal accomplishment, like academically is not my PhD, is graduating from RPI with uh, cum laude honors and getting into Caltech, because I'm not afraid to work hard. That's never a a thing for me. I know it's going to be forever. for I just deal. I work harder than another person, but I'm so proud of that because I thought I was never going to get out of the South Bronx because it was not a pretty sight growing up there. So when I convey that story to my Bridges students and saying, hey, you could be anything. Yes, you may not be doing well, but you're still learning the skills and how to learn for yourself because you're not gonna have somebody running a marathon if they have one leg. You're not gonna take a driving test without your glasses. So you still need your tools in order to be successful and just doing your academic work. And we connected that way. And while teaching at Bridges, I learned how to differentiate my lessons. Everyone learns differently. So while one is a tactile learner to understand certain facts, another was auditory, while another one was visual, while another one needed to live that moment or communicate using song or movement versus written word. So I love that because if we're not patient enough as educators to work with our students and work with our classroom and see where their strengths and weaknesses are in order for us to communicate and for them to communicate with us. We're going to lose a lot of fantastic individuals who may be the next Stephen Hawking or the next Mae Jameson or Katherine Johnson. I mean, you have to be able to be there with them, mentor them and guide them.
0: Oh, ideal. Thank you so much for sharing that story. I have to say it resonates so much with me. My son is in a school here in Maryland that has the tagline, great minds don't think alike. That's right. And I think that we all need to really take that in and recognize that you can expect even those without learning differences to get an A in every single subject. I mean, that's just not how life is. You're not going to go and do everything. Mm -hmm. You're going to find the things you enjoy and the things that you're good at. And you're going to go in that direction and you're going to have twists and turns and whatnot. But I think the idea that you are something less than, you are a lesser person because you're not great at everything and you don't learn the same way is just flat out wrong.
1: I've witnessed it in the lab. So when I was running the lab at Cal Poly Pomona, where I was like a co-PI there, or at Caltech, when I had students come in from high school or first year college students, I asked them a question, okay, I need you to prep a sample, make sure it's at this concentration. And they look at me like, what? And they said, this is not in a book. I'm like, no, these are techniques, you should be able from the information from a book, apply it. And as I say this, I remember Dr. Tyson's one of his quotes. So one of his TED talks that he had, he was saying about learners and students and who would he hire? And I agree with him because that's who I hire uh, an individual when he's saying, OK, what is the shadow of a I hope I'm remembering this correctly, the shadow given off by a particular tower. And there's one person, the first interviewer who built the tower. He knew exactly how much the shadow will be and all that stuff. The next person who came in, who interviewed, according to his story, said, I don't know, but I could figure it out. And this individual went out, measured the tower, measured the shadow and everything like that and was able to calculate. And the point that Dr. Tyson, Dr. Neil deGrasse Tyson was stating, in which I agree uh, as an educator and as a scientist, I will hire the person who's able to figure it out, not because he was able or she was able or they were able to read it from a book, but they know all the skills and all the techniques to find that information. Because if there is situation And we have a question that cannot be found in a book. We know how to answer it because this person knows how to problem solve. And all of science is cause and effect. And if you're not able to figure out the right questions and how to figure out to test it out, technology, science, all of steam will not move forward. And diversity is also important. I want to add this in. Even Scott Kelly wrote it in his book that having diverse learners, even different individuals of different backgrounds coming together to solve a problem or collaborating, that's when science and technology and engineering, mathematics move forward. And I remember I told this to one of my students, it was during the summer, they were doing an IOI, intersections of identity, and talking about why is it so important to, to have diversity in a given anything. And I described it to them as this way. All right, I'm Puerto Rican, I'm Latin. Let's say we're in a dark room and we have several populations in a dark room, but we all looking with a flashlight only in one direction. No one could find the door to get out. And if no one is communicating, no one will find out where the door is. But if we start collaborating, having all people from all different backgrounds, all socioeconomical, all learning styles, start using and sharing their flashlights to find the door to get out of the dark room, that's when success happens. Because if we don't communicate and have everybody together, unique ideas, unique visions, I mean, advances would not happen.
0: Yeah. I want to ask you, Ideal, and I want to flash back actually to when you were an undergrad at Rensselaer Polytechnic Institute at RPI, where you got your mm-hmm. BS in biology. Just very quickly. Yes. Did you know what you were going to do with that degree when you graduated? Because I also noticed. I think that you didn't go straight into graduate school to get a PhD in genetics.
1: No, I did actually. So I knew since I was a little girl, I swear it was this cockroach. I don't know if Jonah told you this story, but I was seven, eight years old in the Bronx. We had a slumlord and my sister, my brother and I stayed in one room and underneath the windowsill, there was this big cockroach. It was early in the morning and laid something. I'm like, whoa, dip. So I went to check it out and I saw like, three little larvae. It looked like worms. I'm like, wow, it pooped worms. But I wanted to see what happens. And so I remember Tom can. I had a Tama can box. So I'm dating myself and I covered it up. I went to school every day. I kept on checking it out. And about two weeks later, I woke up early in the morning and make sure I didn't bother my sister, and my brother. I looked at it and I'm like, oh, my gosh, there was a lot of little cockroaches everywhere. And one of those larvae, there were little cockroaches coming out. They were coming out white. And I'm like, wait a second. So I'm like, wow. Now that I researched it, they were called egg capsules. They're about five to seven little baby cockroaches. And those egg capsules, when they come out of their egg capsule, they're white. But over like a half hour, they turn brown. And I was like, oh, dip. I was like so excited. I woke up my brother and my sister. They yelled at me. I went to my mom. I'm like, mommy, mommy, guess what? Cockroaches, when they have babies, I thought they were worms. But they were actually little eggs, I guess. And you know, I was telling her the whole story. She says, Gigi, why are you saying that? How do you know that? She said to me, I'm like, well, I have the whole family. Oy. So my mother, of course, she was very Latin. So she said, what the heck? And she got the raid, killed them all. But that's what inspired me. Science. And that bug in me of like, why did this happen? Continued on. I tried to ask the teachers at my school. I went to a Catholic school and they told me, don't worry about it. God said so. But I'm like, no, I want more reasons. And it was, again, thank you, Public Broadcasting System, Channel 13, Newton's Apple. I don't know if you ever heard of that. No. And back in the 80s, Newton's Apple, they always had little excerpts of science. And I used to watch that loyally with my black and white TV. And in Newton's Apple, they had an episode with Dr. Ed Lewis. And I can fast forward with that one, too. And Dr. Ed Lewis uh, was talking about hox genes, homeobox genes, DNA, special coded pieces of DNA that everyone on this planet, animal and plant has. Not bacteria, but all of the animals and plants. So these genes pattern us. So make left side, right side, anterior, posterior, and that if you take this piece of gene and put it in a cockroach, it will work the same way. We took that piece of gene from a cockroach and put it in us. And I'm like, wow, it was amazing. And I remember him saying, yep, it's these nucleotides, A, T, C, G, these chemicals. And I'm like, wow, four little chemicals, right? I didn't understand what a chemical was, but I understand that the word chemicals and A, T, C, G, the one that he represented, we all have it we all from the bacteria to us complex humans and that these hox genes, we have it universally in the animal plant field. And I was in awe. I'm like, okay, I gotta figure out what these genes are. And well, DNA, because he said DNA. And he said hox genes, but I didn't process it. Then during that same time, there was a sci-fi show called V. The visitors, that was an NBC, Mm -hmm. uh, about the lizard people. And I remember this particular scene, and this is how everything came together. It was the protagonist saying, oh, wow, I wonder what these aliens have. And the protagonist said, I wonder what's in their genes. And that's where my interest of, you know what? I want to know more about DNA and genes. And then the word genetics came about through, thank you, Stanley, through the X-Men comics. And... The last piece of the puzzle that gave me that drive that I say, I'm not going to take no for an answer, was the old Cosby show. And this is where representation is key. There was an episode of the Cosby show with Tony Orlando. And, you know, he's Puerto Rican. And in this episode, Tony Orlando in the episode with his show wife saying, when I went to college and I was floored, I went, wait a second, I could go to college no one in my family, my parents, no one. They're like, no, it's not for us. It's for everybody else but us. But I'm like, but Otoli and Nando went to college, at least the character. And that was my drive through high school. It's like, I know I may not have the grades. I wasn't diagnosed yet. But I'm like, if there's a will, there's a way. I'm not going to be a statistic. I'm not going to be like Wally or Pupa or JP dead in the corner that which I've seen. I need to get out. And that was the drive. And this is what I say to any individual educator or student or parent: saying your circumstances should not define your future circumstances. You just got to fight. And there are people out there like myself, contact me. They're willing to help be with you during the fight and pull you out. It's not going to be easy, but it's so worth it.
0: Oh my goodness. What a great story. Thank you so much for sharing that ideal. And I just love your spirit. It is so important to have that. We can call it a fighting spirit or just grit, you know, to be able to kind of endure the hard times, just like grit your teeth, Mm -hmm. put your head down, and keep putting one foot in front of the other. And you for sure did not have it easy. You were very lucky that your parents were able to scrape together the money to send you to a private school. But it was also you being curious and Mm. looking in all different ways, whether it was the cockroach laying eggs right by your windowsill or the television show that you were able to watch on a black and white TV at home. Mm -hmm. So... Thank you for sharing that. And
1: I have to thank my parents because I was one of the few families that had a mother and father and they both worked hard. And it's not fair that parents who are trying to have a better life for their kids in an inner city, they don't have that opportunity. They got to work for it to their health is gone. And that's one thing for my future educators out there and my future advocates and politicians, please invest in the educational system, invest in the teacher as well, because as a profession, it's one of the professions that touch many lives and could actually change the way of our future. And if you don't invest in the teacher, the student will fall to the wayside.
0: Yes. So, Ideal, you mentioned, obviously, in your personal life, the struggle that you experienced. Can you share a time in your professional life when you really struggled? Maybe you screwed up a big research project or maybe something else happened, whatever it was. How did you persevere and what lesson did you learn in the process?
1: Oh yeah, I mess up a lot of research project, but that's what research is. It's always a lot of screw ups until you find the right recipe. But it was at Caltech, there's qualifying exams and for your major and your minor, and you have four hours for your qualifying exam and two hours for your minor qualifying exam. And I was advocating for myself saying, I need extended time. No, they didn't want to offer it to me. I'm like, why not? I mean, I remember one professor said, if you have a learning difference, or he said, if you have a learning disability, you shouldn't be at Caltech. And I was like, whoa, Albert Einstein literally walked in these halls. And I mean, he didn't know how to bathe this guy. I mean, he was failing school, but he had his gift. I'm like, I was floored. And I was talking to my husband. I'm like, should I fight this? Should I not? I mean, maybe they're right, because the qualifying exam are intense, right? And you have to read all these journals, and you have to know your stuff. And it was a fight. Some of the professors were not very fond of me when I called them out on it, when I went to the dean of students first, and then I went to the learning center, saying, I was actually told this, and that they're not going to offer me my extended time. And I'm like, I'm willing to do it orally, ask me the questions. And it was a fight, but I got it. But I mean, I could have scored better, but I scored well enough to maintain in the school, got my PhD. But I would say that was the hardest moment because people that I respected as scientists told me, no, you have something messed up with you. So you shouldn't be here. And I guess my Bronx attitude saying, no, 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 I'm not going to accept. that. I'm going to fight. And I remember what Abuela said. She's like, don't worry about what people think of you. As long as they don't make obstacles for you to get to your goal, don't worry about them. Know who your true self is. And I think that's what helped me succeed through Caltech. And I'm very proud of that PhD. And then I went to the Institute of Genetic Medicine after that for postdoc.
0: Incredible. Thank you so much for sharing it with me and with our listeners. So final time for coffee question. If you could go back to college, back to Rensselaer and do it all over again, but based on the wisdom you have now, what advice would you give yourself? Definitely have time for me.
1: That it was great that I was working hard. And know that I would love to tell myself back then, you have the skills, you'll be fine. You will become a mom, a wife, a scientist, an educator, and an astronaut, hopefully soon, a magician. You get to do all that. So just trust in yourself and relish in the good moments more. I worked so hard 24-7, and I was fortunate that my boyfriend then, now husband, was patient with me, but... I wish I had time to enjoy college life, to enjoy those moments of just being a child. I wish I gave myself some time. I thought I didn't deserve it then. And I realized, no, I deserved it. I should have given myself that time.
0: Thank you so much for that ideal. So before I say goodbye to you, why don't you share your super exciting news that you just got like in the last 24 hours?
1: Yes, I'm so happy. So on Sunday, I received an email from the Possum Science Astronaut Program in Florida and they invited me to be part of their research educational program to be one of the science astronaut candidates for suborbital missions and also to do some in-situ sampling from clouds. And this is all done on Embry Riddle. And I am so excited because I applied for this about a year ago and I thought it would be a long shot. And I have an opportunity. I tried several times to be an astronaut through NASA. So it's basically a civilian job. You could just go to USA, go of careers. And you can actually apply to be an astronaut. I applied several times, but didn't get it. Usually they pick military. But this program saw that I have the qualifications and hopefully I will be in space. I'm throwing it out there hopefully in two years. I'm throwing it out there.
0: Wow. Well, so exciting and just tremendous congratulations. And I would have said, even before you shared this incredible news with me before we started this interview ideal that you are out of this world in so many ways just a really exceptional human being and educator and mentor and all of the most important qualities that you can have in someone who is working with our young people And I want to thank you so much for making Time for Coffee today, Time for Red Bull with me and the Time (laughs) for Coffee community. I wish you continued success, good health, and lots of good fortune, good energy as you seek to solve some of the biggest questions in our world today.
1: And remember, everybody, everyone can help in solving all these questions. And it doesn't matter what age you are. Thank you so much. I totally enjoyed this coffee talk so much.
0: Thanks so much for listening to Time for Coffee, where the professionals in the jobs that most interest you always have time to grab coffee 24-7, no matter where you live. I have one quick favor to ask you. Remember to rate, review, and subscribe to Time for Coffee. Thanks so much.